because I think whenever you find an inefficiency, there becomes a business backing to try to solve for it. And I think that we could do a lot more in the cut and sew sector in terms of efficiency. And when you have a more efficient product, usually your cost basis goes down over time. And we, we have an opportunity for a whole new generation of skills around that. I find that technology is a lot of our future. Welcome to Mindful Business Founder, the podcast for fashion business founders seeking to build a meaningful and profitable business. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how mindful founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Today's episode is the second part of the conversation with Mary Marland, founder and CEO of Wild Doves. Mary is a former investment banker turned fashion entrepreneur who started her children's wear brand after her first child was born. In the first part of our conversation, we talked about conscious living, the full cycle of sustainability that any fashion business owners should address, and about the tactics introduced in the 19th century by the garment manufacturing sector to push for more consumption. Now, if you want to know more about Mary's entrepreneurial journey, this episode is definitely for you. In this part of our conversation, Mary will share with us the main difficulties she faced when she first launched her brand and why her beautiful plan fell apart. What she learned from transitioning from working in a big corporation to starting her own business in fashion. Her innovation in making sizing more efficient in infants and children's wear. And also, we'll talk about technologies, how small businesses in fashion use the same technologies that were already used 100 years ago, and how technologies could evolve to better serve small fashion startups. This is the second part of a fun and insightful conversation with Mary Marland. You said that you were an investment banker before this new life. So when was the moment that you said, okay, that is it. I'm going to stop being an investment banker. Yeah. So I, I tried to do, when I had my first child, which was seven years ago, I dabbled in wild doves on the side. Like I would take boot camp. I took like a couple FIT boot camp. I took like a natural dying thing. I took classes. For a couple years before mm-hmm. I, after my second child, um, you know, my, my work had a heavy travel schedule. Sometimes I was literally on the road two weeks a month and a lot of international travel. And not only could I not find time for my family in any way, but I also couldn't find time for these kinds of pursuits. And Wild Doves started as a passion hobby. And then I realized, well, you know what, what is holding me back from making this a business? I didn't dislike my job, but it really did not offer any balance. I could not find a way to juggle, to be a good, you know, partner to my husband, a mother to my children, a good, you know, focused on my job day to day, and also pursue these other things. It was just all encompassing. Um, and I love the, and I actually thought to myself, what would I do if money was no object? <laughs> and if I could just do something, <laughs> well, money is every, if the practical, the reality is for everyone we need, most people need to, to earn money to live. <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly not a trust fund child. Yeah. And so, um, 
you know, it has been actually a sacrifice for our family to do this. And so I really do, it's no longer a passion, you know, hobby. It's a career. I, you know, I, I work at least 40, if not sometimes 60 hours a week on this. And I do all types of different, I am a one woman show. Mm -hmm. So I have to do <laughs> everything. Whereas in a bank, you have resources. But the big aha moment, I suppose, as Oprah would say it, for me was when, you know, my, I, um, I, was, I was finding myself like learning how to design on the weekends, every moment I could get. So, you know, everything from just getting books to taking classes, and I loved it. And it didn't feel like work. And, you know, for me, I decided, you know what, it, there's never a right time. There really isn't. It'll just get more and more pressure, actually, as my kids get older. So I took the leap. Yeah, it, it sounds to me that it's part of, your, of the movement that you're preaching at the beginning of our conversation when you say, you know, to be in a world of being more conscious, being more conscious of yeah. what you're doing, yes. what you're doing, what you're contributing to this world as well, and how you're spending your time, because uh, your time is a very limited resource. And when you have a child, it does make you, for most of us, it makes you look at your life and yourself a little differently. You want to be the best you can be because how else can your, your children will in some way emulate what you teach them and what better way to teach the next generation is to live it than, you know, mm. yourself. So I do think that you do have profound um, realities when you become a parent yeah. <laughs> that life is somewhat fleeting. We don't have that much time here. What are we going to contribute? Each of us. Uh, you mentioned in a previous interview that you did a lot of planning before you decide to launch your company. <laughs> and so how did oh. it go? Did everything go as planned? <laughs> <laughs> you start laughing. Oh, no. Yeah, I had, I had a beautiful business plan <laughs> <laughs> strategy. <laughs> um, most of the delays for me were actually the manufacturing side. It, it, and the pre-production side has been, was, I mean, I'm, I'm past that, I think, for this collection. But the pre-production side was, un, I mean, unbelievably inefficient. I, have, I cannot get over how many, how different it is from manufacturer to manufacturer and how overly simplified that had been to me. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of U.S. manufacturers that offer these um, full service is how it's referred to, mm -hmm. pre-production services. The only word that I can say and accurately is exploiting. I had a quote for um, just refining of my my pattern and making a first sample of my collection, one small U.S. manufacturer quoted me $20,000. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I've gone through eight samplers. So everybody knows somebody that knows how to sew. And the reality is, unless you can afford doing large production order in, in the United States, specifically, you're working with these smaller cut and sews. And some of them are literally, you know, people that learn through the generations at home, home sewers that go and they are hourly paid employees for extra work. And that introduces, uh, I mean, I, I was really surprised. Um, yeah, I, I, that cycle, that timeline delayed me considerably. I really thought for the amount of product that's created, 
globally, I would not have encountered so many challenges with some basic steps. Um, that said, you know, I sent a sample abroad and I had a very different experience. Oh. So I think that's a whole nother podcast on U.S. manufacturing, frankly. But I had a very customer-oriented, I had a very positive experience. And the reality is, for me, it wasn't about, you know, manufacturing in the U.S. specifically. It was about my footprint. Mm. It seems very impractical for me to source all my fiber and then send it abroad for cut and sew and then send it back. Yes. Yeah. And so I've, I've tried and I continue to try to keep things as local as possible because not only is it practical and less expensive, it's also way more sustainable. But I have really, I was, that was the thing I was most surprised about. That, and I think technology hasn't been updated in a long time in the cut and sew manufacturing sector. And I found that very surprising as well. In the U.S., you mean? In the U.S., but even globally, like, you know, I would think by now we would be in fully robotic, automated cut and sew. And we're pretty far from that still. The technology is, is just signing up. Yeah, that's right. But it's not, it's not standard. But they're still doing very basic stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, if you go to a manufacturing floor, they have a machine for every, every step of the cut and sew. And that is innovative, I suppose, versus 100 years ago. I would think by now, with the technology in other sectors, it would be more automated than it is. I've been surprised to see that you still have, you know, your 50-year-old machine for your straight stitch and your cover stitch machine all lined up next to each other. Yeah. I guess it's also because people value the handmade aspect of it. I don't know. Yeah. So slow fashion is something that I think is a wonderful pursuit. Um, you know, I think if you're doing artistry, like hand smocking, there's a number of things, but it, for t-shirt, basic, literally five pieces cut and sew together. I don't know. I think my personal opinion is it should be more about efficiency and those skill sets should be, should be transitioned into more technology skills, software driven. And that's just my opinion, you know, that I'm just one opinion there. Um, and that's not to say that if someone, you know, if I became a great smocker, as an example, for children's <laughs> wear, I wouldn't want people to acknowledge that that's a craft. But cut and sew in itself, um, being a person moving it along the machine, I don't know. I, I feel like that is um, conflicts with some other philosophies I have about just having efficiencies. Efficiencies create less waste. There's all, you know, there's actually a cycle and an argument against that. Yeah, this, but this could be a vision. It could be more than an idea. It could be a vision as well. Yeah, I think it's coming because I think whenever you find an inefficiency, there becomes a business backing to try to solve for it. And I think that we could do a lot more in the cut and sew sector in terms of efficiency. And when you have a more efficient product, usually your cost basis goes down over time. And we, we have an opportunity for a whole new generation of skills around that. I find that technology is a lot of our future. There is a place for craft, for sure. But should we be holding back progress in fashion for the sake of, you know, the human element of um, a person behind the machine? I don't know. It's an interesting debate. I want to go back to your, your journey 
from being an investment banker on the trading floor to, to become a one-woman show that you are right now. Um, well, the reason I kind of insist on that is because I've been working in an investment bank as well, and I've been a one-woman show as well. So it's, um, there's a lot of empathy in my question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm interested to know, what have you learned during your career in the bank that you can apply and that is serving you now in your business, in the way you're developing your business? Um, yeah, and sure. on the contrary, what that you have learned and you have to unlearn because those that was working in the corporate environment is not serving you anymore. Sure. For me, it's probably easier to take that question backwards. What have, what have I had to unlearn? So expectations, yeah, the expectations certainly have to be reset. So in terms of timelines, particularly where I sat in a bank, which was trading, so everything's immediate, it's very fast. <laughs> and resources are almost unlimited. If you need something done, there's a resource. There's, you know, a grad or an analyst. You know, there's a lot of resources available. Um, and there's a lot of sharing of thoughts and a cohesive direction and very clear. I mean, it just really is about service in the bank, it's servicing your client, and there is, it is heavily about that bottom line. So about making money, that is, it's a bank. I mean, nobody pretends that that isn't a big part of, 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 of the objectives. I bring that into Wild Duck. So I do look at it in those terms, and I can't help not. So that's frustrating because yes, I'm not at a place where I can I can take an I can take a salary yet, of course. Not yet. So I'm a little bit away from that. But um, but that said, so that resetting my expectations, timeline, also having a more a better understanding of of like, you know, you take for granted resources if you're in a in an environment where it's a team. Um, when you're working on your own, you have to pick up anything that comes up. And that could end up pulling you into two, three hours of your day. And that is, um, that, that comes back to making sure that you have realistic expectations for what you can achieve in the timelines you have set. And also learning how to delegate in a different way. So in a bank, you know where your resources are. So it's not a big learning curve to learn how to delegate. When you're doing things on your own, you have to know just enough about what other people do and their day-to-day -day to be able to delegate and manage properly. And so I think it enhanced, for me, I, I like that part. I like to have to learn about what are all the different aspects of digital marketing? Because you can't sell a product without understanding that today. So, you know, how do I identify who has talent and who doesn't? You know, in a bank, there's a whole division. They already know that. <laughs> so you don't have to know that much about their job. Um, so your skills, you become at least a generalist in everything that touches your business when you own and, and build a business, but you have to make a decision if you want to be an expert or not. And that is actually a big challenge you can get in your own way. I'm sure you found that too, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've, I've been trying to become an expert on everything. And then I realized I can't be an expert on everything. So, And how many times do you have to learn that over and over until you start making change? Well, <laughs> yes. still now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, even to a point where, I mean, there's a lot of brands where the, you know, the, the, the owner of the brand actually doesn't know how to sew. I found that fascinating. Yeah. That they don't know how to sew. They don't know how to do any basic patterning. They don't know how to design. And they run a fashion brand. I find that amazing 
because that's that would be equivalent in other areas they're essentially running the business and and the the product design is completely independent from them um i was not interested in that i the whole purpose of doing this particular thing is because i like that part of the process that creative element so i can sew now i can design i can do flats i can use the adobe suite i can use illustrator I do my own print patterns, so I literally painted. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm <laughs> the most talented artist, but I feel good about what I put out, and that part of the process makes me passionate about the other parts. I can totally relate to that because uh, one of my big frustration is that I wasn't making anything that was tangible, you know, anything physical, anything that was I was proud of. I can show. Well, I was talking about、uh, me before、oh, I launched、right. my own brand.、Um, because before doing what I'm doing now, I used to own my fashion brand in handbags, a design、uh, for about ten years. And one of the, one of the reasons that make me take the leap is that I wasn't making anything tangible, and I wasn't drawing,、oh, and it was my、right. big passion actually.、Right. And so I was, I felt very frustrated that I wasn't making anything I'm proud of. I mean, now I don't have that anymore because I'm still floated with lots of handbags <laughs> around me. So, <laughs> so I have um, I have some remains of me making tangible right, stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so now I can very happily be in on a service based business. Right. Right. Yeah, I think at some point I'll have to make a decision. Where Where do I want to spend most of my time at this point? I feel like it's my responsibility to be at least a generalist about every aspect. And the product side, I find the most rewarding. But as you pointed out, I probably have the most to offer on the business.、Side. Yes, I mean these are good. These are hard choices, but good ones. So you know, I think I would be more likely to be able to delegate business side work because I know more about it actually、um, than I would a product have product work. I think we all have to find our own way. I certainly think one of the biggest challenges with entrepreneurship is that we get in our own way. So we create our own unnecessary challenges, things like time management, bandwidth, trying to do more than any one person should do. These are common inhibitors to growth. So having a general like what we would learn in a in an established company is something that we. That I did, and I'm sure you did in banking, is that you have reviews, right? You sit down and look at what you've done, and you set new targets. So that is something I brought in. I started doing that. Yeah, I do it with myself now. Yeah, exactly. And it, as the team grows, we'll do that. We'll bring that. We'll continue that. So it's not just like this flow of change, because <laughs> that can be overwhelming. But you sound that you're enjoying your job very much. So I want to、yeah. ask you what you are excited about your work and about what you're doing every single day. What makes you jump out of your bed in the morning?、Um, I I have started to love design. So I have a collection that's coming out in the spring. I'm hoping it'll be May.、Um, it might be April. I'm working on that. Um, and it's it, I, I I call it a grow with me, and I, basically Wild Doves is a DBA of my LLC, which is called Grow With Me LLC. And these are the adjustable clothing、uh, items that I talked about earlier. So what I have right now is a basic set without the adjustables, 
and I'm going to be releasing my adjustables collection in the spring. This was a long time coming. It was really difficult actually to get my products in terms of quality and, um, you know, to get it right. And I, and I went through a lot of phases of this. Um, I'm super excited about it because it does solve for something. So it's just a practical addition for any wardrobe. But I also will be able to apply the same ideas to other types of clothing, like toddler, little kids, maternity. So can we do more with our clothing without being gimmicky? So I love solving for something, but then the other softer side of that is, how do I make you feel beautiful in them? How do I make them, you know, the parent get really excited about putting it on their baby? Because um, that is true. For me, I had like an emotional attachment to clothing. I really did. Like when I give a second generation of clothing, you know, I always say, I remember all the times my son and daughter wore this outfit. <laughs> yeah. Like I have an, there's an emotional attachment, particularly when it comes to kids. And I want that there too. I don't want it to be so basic, so standardized that you don't feel connected to it somehow. It's almost like an emotional memory to it. So I get excited about that design. I have a lot to learn still. I'm working really hard to learn more. Um, and I like doing it. I could do it all day, but I can't because I have all this business element, this other stuff to do. But in the spring, I'll be launching something that is different. And, you know, I'm layering it with my prints that I, I literally painted <laughs> and then printed. I used a spoon flower initially to test the prints. Um, and as like, a, and that's a very accessible site for anyone. So anyone that has an idea for a, a print um, could use that. And they're, you know, they, they do a fantastic job. Whether it's scalable for a large company in printing, they're way more expensive than a lot of other printers. But they have an accessible product that makes it super easy to test out your ideas and to see what it feels like and how it, um, how it looks on your, on, your, on your pieces. So that's probably the thing that I feel the most attached to right now. Solving this problem, releasing this collection that I've worked so hard to get out, and then building from that. So I've designed a few maternity pieces, little kids, toddlers. I can't launch them all at once, but I'll have them back to back basically. And then I'll start continuing the same path around sustainable fibers because I do think that we have gone a little away from that. Like things like athletic wear. It's really hard to find athletic wear that's 100% natural fiber. And so I already have that on my list and I'm excited because my list will not end actually. <laughs> and that is, you know, what can we ask for more than that? I mean, I'm not worried about running out of ideas actually. There's so much to do and we could work with that. Um, I think it's just, you know, having realistic expectations for timelines and not getting discouraged on delays. Um, Cause a lot of that, the supply chain is outside of your, you know, the brand's control. So it's really tricky. A lot of partnerships that you have to work on. Yeah, I've realized is finding the right partners is probably the most uh, important element when you're in fashion design. Because once you've made the choice that you're not producing yourself, which is uh, of a business line, um, yeah. being able to rely on the right partner, on the right production partner who believe in you and also is uh, aligned with your own values is really, really critical crucial yeah and it and and the reality is they're a business too and so if someone comes along bigger they can just jump right in front of you yes <laughs> so there is 
there is a lot of just practical, you should expect, I would expect that. Um, and I think that job is also really tricky. It is very relationship-based business. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the questions you asked me is about manufacturers. So I mostly have been using Makers Row, which is a U.S. site for manufacturers. But I found international manufacturers on there as well, actually. And I think they, they tend to be on the smaller side. But that approach, like an e-commerce site with manufacturers that match based on need, is something that I have not seen a global version of. And, you know, when we start to look at how the business is changing more and more as we start to become more digital, that I expect to also become different and our relationships will be different. You know, the big manufacturers already do everything digitally in terms of sharing of ideas and digital patterns and the whole process is more digital. And there has been a lot of innovation, but I, I see it in the segment I'm in, which is the small business startup where we are, you know, we're dealing with like the same process as it's probably been a hundred years, almost <laughs> paper patterns. I just updated my paper patterns <laughs> on one of the pieces um, yesterday. So I like that I'm learning new things. I'm fully aware that I could have a whole entire lifetime of learning. But that's what I think is amazing about fashion. The aspects, there is an absolute, true, creative, underlying need, and people respond to it. It isn't just about a utility. You know, I mean, clothing isn't just for the utility of wearing it. It also has so much more to it. So it's a multifaceted area to focus your livelihood on, and I am excited to participate in it. I want to ask you a final question, and it's not related to your business at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's one of the questions I like to ask. Let's say that you have the opportunity to place a message in the time capsule. Mm-hmm. And so this time capsule can travel to the past as well as to the future. Mm, interesting. Uh, so what would you say? What, what would be your message? Can it be a product? It could be anything. It's just a message. I would, I would probably have one of my, my adjustable body suits and I would have some facts and figures added with it. You know, what it took to make that, where the farm was, where it ended up. You know, some just insight into the where we are presently and how we got here. And that answers the question for the past, the present, and then hopefully they, the future would already be past that problem. But if not, then they would maybe be looking to solve that. I think it's all connected. When you become more conscious, and usually that comes down to awareness, and awareness comes down to information, and we cannot make change without having that information. And so I think that mine would be a, a pitch, basically, <laughs> for the next generation to be aware. So because once you give someone a fact and a figure, they cannot easily avoid coming to making a decision. So when you tell someone, if you buy this shirt, it will be in a landfill for I don't know, 200 years. And that landfill may not be here. It could be, you know, under a park in Maryland. I bet you that person would think a little different about the product. So I think that 
all these initiatives could come from that. But I would do that because that's where I am right now in my life and in my process with my company. I want people to understand how we got here, where we are right now, and solution something for the future because I actually don't have a full, like we mentioned before, there's no such thing as zero footprint. Mm -hmm. And we don't actually have a true waste plan for our consumer habits, for the things we even need, not just the things we want. So, you know, it's tricky. There's a lot of innovation and a lot of people talking about zero waste and what we can do better and how you can minimize your footprint. Oh my goodness. If you go to a store, it is so hard to find anything <laughs> that is, that is not, that really has, I mean, even on a very basic level, even is recyclable. I mean, there's just, it is so much part of our, uh, of our problem that um, it starts to need, it needs to come sooner. It needs to be part of product selling. Yeah. And our next generation can do something about it. Oh. We can all do something, but they certainly can. Thank you very much for your time. Do you have any last recommendation to share, to give? Um, I think every one of us should think about our conscious living in a way that's inclusive of our buying habits, consumer habits. Where can people find you? I have a website. It's www.wildwildoves, D-O-V-E-S. So like the birds, wilddoves.com. On the social? Yeah, and my social, Instagram, under Wild Doves, Twitter, Wild Doves Baby, Facebook, Wild Doves, Pinterest, Wild Doves. So I will be increasingly adding content and products available um, through those avenues, those channels. And obviously, I am responsive. I'm also a responsive business person. I was selling my product over the holiday, and a ton of people kept on asking me about a particular product. And so I'm now adding that product. <laughs> and that's how I will be always because I'm not in business without you. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you so much for this conversation. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye. In the previous episode, Mary explained in detail why we need to consider the full product cycle from farm to landfill when we implement with sustainable practices in our business. In this episode, what really resonated with me from this conversation with Mary is that there is so much room for innovation that small fashion business owners could use to create a change in the way the fashion industry is operating today. For example, Mary innovates in her very own way by designing a collection of clothes that is extendable as the child grows. By doing so, she helps parents reduce the number of new pieces of clothing that their child would use in the early years. So my call to action to you today is to consider one or more conventions in your business you could challenge. Sometimes we do things because we think that there is the only way, because it is the norm in the industry. Does it always make sense to you, to your customers, for the planet? Can you do it differently? How would be the outcomes, the benefits? As usual, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at podcast at themindfulfounder.com podcast at themindfulfounder.com.
Thanks for listening and talk Did to you soon. Did you like this episode? If you enjoyed listening to Mindful Business Founder, it will mean a lot to me if you can share this with your friends who are also in the sustainability journey. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Bye-bye now. Bye.